You're listening to Words of Encouragement, the preaching ministry from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Winsboro, Louisiana. Good day to you. I'm Pastor Craig Beeman, and today we're talking about riding on coattails. Riding on coattails. Today, on Words of Encouragement. Today, I've entitled this sermon, Riding on the Coattails. I have a little, there's a little uh, part of, I don't know how to explain it, uh, on the the Amazon device that I have. I'm not going to say the word because it might trigger uh, someone's device, but you can, I, every day I hear a uh, euphemism or just phrases, and it's, it, it, the man will say, giving someone the cold shoulder, and he'll explain what that means, where it came from. And I always thought they were very, very interesting. Uh, so every day I get to learn a new one. But uh, today, this is one of those, riding on the coattails. How many of you have never heard that phrase, riding on someone's coattails? It's okay if you've never heard it. Um, Good. (laughs) I'm going to define it anyway. It means to benefit from someone else's success, to use someone else's success as a means to achieve one's own. So it's riding on someone else's coattails. You know, it's kind of, it's just, hey, you, you did this. Well, it would be like someone comes up with a great idea. Let's just go ahead and be frank about it. Uh, it's like when someone comes up with a great idea and, it's, and everybody thinks, oh, that's so wonderful. And then Apple comes along and says, hmm, now we could take this to another level. Let's take this idea and let's just enhance it tremendously and then let's sell it to the public. And everybody says, oh, look, isn't this wonderful? Uh, But what they've done is they've took an idea that someone else had and then they enhanced it and made it better and and just usable in in ways that no one thought about. Um, That's kind of what it means to ride someone's coattails Uh, Today, I I want us to look at a time when John the Baptist calls out those who are riding on someone else's coattails. Uh, And I think you'll find this interesting uh, as we look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 9. And I want to ask if you are able and willing to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Uh, And just this verse 9, it says, And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Now may God bless the reading of his word from his word this morning. You may be seated. The first thing I want us to see is some curious people show up at a baptism. Some curious people, they're curious, and they show up at a baptism. In verse 7, it says, but when he, talking about John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Oh my. Uh, It appears these Pharisees and Sadducees were coming to the baptism. Now, Uh, I want us to look at this a little closer. The Pharisees were, now get this, listen carefully. The Pharisees were political conservatives, 
but they leaned toward religious liberalism. They had added to the scriptures a multitude of laws almost impossible for people to follow. The Sadducees were a bit more politically liberal, but religiously conservative. But they only followed the first five books of Moses. And as I've said before, the Sadducees were sad, you see, because they did not believe in the resurrection of Christ. So they, you had some mixed up ideas going on here, but they were religious leaders in the community. Now your version may say that these people were coming to his baptism. It may say, you, you may have a version that says coming to where he was baptizing. My version says they were coming for baptism. The meaning of the phrase that John uses here is a bit difficult to translate. I think we're safe in, in, in coming to the conclusion that more than likely what is meant here by John is that they showed up for the baptism. They came for baptism. They came for the baptism. Uh, not necessarily coming to be baptized, but coming for this baptism. Curious, religious leaders, something's going on. What's happening here? They're coming to find out. They're coming to find out. They want to see it with their own eyes. Their presence, though, shows that something is up. I mean, wherever you find the Pharisees and the Sadducees, something's going on. Something in the Bible, you find that they're, they're, they're either coming to try to disprove something, trying to catch Jesus in the act of doing something wrong. You find that in the scriptures many times. So just their presence there ought to raise a flag in your mind and say, oh, well, what's going on here? Why are they here? Whenever you notice that they're there, ask why are they there? So their presence is showing that something is up. John is aware that something is up. Look at the second part of verse 7. This is, this wow. <laughs> you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the, from the wrath to come? Whoa. Goodness, John, I mean, they just showed up. I mean, you just let them have it. What is this? Uh, very unkind. Uh, what are you doing? But John, he, he launches into kind of a rant here. Contrary to popular belief, these two groups were not particularly hypocritical. Not, not all of them in, the group, in these groups were particularly hypocritical. Hypocritical, But for some reason, John knows something about what's happening. He knows why they're there, and he knows something here. Something he has seen has been hypocritical in their actions. You know, you don't just normally run around calling people a brood of vipers. That's just not, you know, that's not natural everyday behavior. Are children of vipers out of, you know, somebody's own the loving heart of, of, of the, themselves. That's not something you do. Vipers are known to do harm to others. And John, what he's doing here is making a connection to these groups because they've done harm to others. In trying to constrict them with, the, with these little rules and all, all this extra stuff that God didn't say you had to do, but they have added to the scriptures. And John says, you're doing harm to people. You brood of vipers. You, oh, what are you doing? And he asked this question, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? 
Because what John is doing, he's baptizing people upon their confession of sin. And so John says, who told you to come? Who, are you here for that? John knows they're not, but he calls them out in public. Look at verse 8. Therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Ooh. You're not, you know, you're not here to be baptized. You're not here to confess your sins. If you were, then you need to live up to the way you have said you will live. Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. If you are repentant, if, you have, if you've actually asked God to forgive you of your sins, then there should be evidence in your life that a change has taken place. And John knows that in the lives of these Pharisees and Sadducees, not much change has happened. And he calls them out on it. Oh my goodness. <laughs> if you want to flee the wrath to come, then you need to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That's not their goal. He knows this. And he makes the point for all to hear. You need to live out of a life of repentance. That's what he's saying. Saying one is saved does not make one saved. You can even come down the aisle and say to me, I want, to free, I, I want God to forgive me of my sins and I want to be baptized, Brother Craig. And if there's nothing behind that, if there's nothing in your heart, if, you're, if that is not a yearning in your heart, if that's not something you know you just have to do and you've got to do it now, if it's something that you think people want you to do, then there's not a change that's taken place in your life. There's not a change that's taken place. You're not saved if you simply came because of pressure to come from someone in this world. But if, it's a, if, it's a, if it is a longing inside of your heart and you know that God wants you to do this, then you do it. But you don't let people push you or pressure you into doing it. Saying one is saved does not make one saved. There must be some evidence that is noticeable and seen by others. In other words, your life should be a painting for others to see what it looks like when a person is forgiven. Your life ought to be a painting for others to see. No, no one is... Not, not, you shouldn't be a painting for others that says, Look, this is how you live as a Christian. You're enslaved to the laws. Oh, you just can't do this, and you can't do that, and you can't do that. And that's how, you know, some Christians live that way. And some people look at Christians and say, wow, is there anything you can do? Can you have fun? Because all they do is worry about what they can't do. Oh, well, I can't do that. Oh, I can't do that. And there's some kind of self-pious, you know, selfish piety. That's a weird thing to have, but some people have it. That's inside of them that, oh, well, I don't do that. Well, I can't do that. I can't do that. Well, good night. Are you living according to the, are you enslaved to the law or are you a bond slave, a slave to Jesus? Because that's a different matter altogether to be a slave to Jesus. Look at verse 9. And John continues, he says, And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father, for I say to you, that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Boy, I love the imagery here. I love the way John puts this. He knows they're children of Abraham. He knows they're, they're Jews. 
But that's not what's going to get them to heaven. God could grab a rock and turn it into a child of Abraham. God could just take a dumb rock and make a child of Abraham out of it. That's how powerful God is. If God wants more of those, if he wants more children, if he wants that, he can just make them out of a rock. That's not the point here. The point here John is trying to express is that there should be a time in your life where you have repented of your sins. You've said to God, God, forgive me of my sins. I want to turn away from my sins. I don't want to live that life anymore. And God forgives you. And there's a change because you have been forgiven. Your life is different. And you're not living the same way that you used to live. Because you truly asked God to forgive you of your sins. And you meant it. And a change took place. If God wants more children, He can make them Himself. But He wants you to come in repentance. He gives you the option. The opportunity to be forgiven of your sins. He does this because He loves you. How many people go to church every Sunday and are riding on the coattails of a mother, a grandmother, a grandparent in order to get to heaven? Being related to Abraham, being related to a godly parent or grandparent has nothing in, in, in any way, has nothing to do in ensuring your way to heaven. Just because you had a holy person in your life, a holy person you were related to by blood, does not mean you get to ride their coattails to heaven. It doesn't mean, oh, because they did such a good job. Well, it certainly reflects on the family. Oh, it reflects on the family and people expect you to be like them. That's why the way it reflects on the family. It doesn't reflect on the family in the way that, oh, well, they were so good and they accepted Jesus... So that I get, to, I get to go to heaven because of what they did. No, you get to go to heaven because of what Jesus did. Amen? You don't get to go to heaven because of a godly grandparent, a godly parent, a godly brother, a godly sister, even a godly cousin. It doesn't work that way. That's not how it happens. That's not how it, it's, it works with the Lord. But some people are counting on someone else's faith to get them to heaven. Well, my grandmother, Brother Craig, you don't know my grandmother. She was a godly woman. She made something for every single potluck that church had. Surely, some of that godly goodness and that godly food, <laughs> that, that blessed food that she made, certainly some of that rubs down to, you know, on me, off on me, trickles down to me in some way. Somehow her decision to live a godly life matters to me, doesn't it? Oh yes, it was set up as an example for you that you need to go and do likewise. But you don't get to ride grandma's coattails to heaven. It's not going to work. Oh, but she did enough for all of us, Brother Craig. No, she didn't. <laughs> no, she, did. she was created for good works and she did those good works. But you were created for good works. And you can't do those good works unless you're right with the Lord. Unless you have Christ in your heart. Unless you've asked Him to forgive you of your sins. Look... Your grandmother was only able to ask forgiveness for her sins. She couldn't ask forgiveness for yours. That's up to you. 
So you can't ride her coattails to heaven. Each individual must approach God on their own merit and ask to be forgiven of their sins. They can't rely on another person's decision for Christ or life well lived to get to heaven. John knew this. He knew this. And here come these Pharisees and these Sadducees. And they're like, well, what's going on with this baptism thing here? Hmm. Hmm. Can we catch this guy? Is this somebody we need to watch? Is something happening here that we need to shut down? Oh, but, you know, Abraham's our father. John says, you know what? That's not good enough. That's just not good enough. He knew this. He kind of jumps, kind of jumps. He jumps on their beliefs. He jumps on them for this, their false beliefs. He wants them to own their behavior, to realize that what they do and do not do matters to God. You cannot ride someone else's coattails to heaven. Well, the next thing we see, the curious learn about the seriousness of living the Christian life. They realize how important this is. Suddenly, uh-oh, wait a minute. There's more to it. There's more to it than following the little laws and, 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 and thinking, well, I'm a son, uh, a daughter of Abraham. I'm okay. Uh, I mean, there was someone who God loved and, and everything's going to work out because, for me because God loved him. And isn't that how it works? The curious are learning something more about what it means to follow Christ, what it means to to have salvation. In verse 10 it says. The, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore every tree that does not bear good fruit. Is cut down and thrown into the fire. Oh my goodness. Irreversible judgment is at hand here. John is saying it's as if an axe is, 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 is ready. Waiting to cut down any tree that does not bear fruit. Bearing fruit, what does it mean to bear fruit? Bearing fruit means to have the characteristics of Christ. It means to live out those characteristics. It means when people look at you, they think of who? Not you, but Jesus. It means you live in such a way that you're bearing the fruits of the Spirit in such a way that when people see you, they know you belong to God. But if these aren't bearing fruit, the axe is ready, waiting to cut down that tree. If a change has taken place in a person's life, then their life shows it. There is a difference. If there's no difference in your life after having accepted Christ, and if I say, I must say, quote unquote, accepted Christ, if there's no change in your life, then it's time to look back at Jesus and say, wait a minute, did I really do that? Did I really mean that? Did I really mean it when I said, I am sorry for my sins. I want Jesus to come into my heart and change my life and be in charge of my life. Did I really mean that? It's time to reflect on that if there's been no difference between how you used to be and how you are now. If you've repented of your sins and turned away from them, then your life has changed. Your life will show through how you live that a change has occurred. These Pharisees and these Sadducees needed to know the seriousness of their faith. They needed to know that there's more to it than just relying on someone else's relationship with the Lord. Relying on following a bunch of laws. There's more to it. Look at verse 11. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance... 
But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Whoa. In several translations, uh, the RSV, the ASV, uh, the Message Bible, Mark uses the phrase, John the Baptizer. And literally, that's what it is. The word is translated as bab- baptizer in, in uh, Mark chapter 6, verse 24. Uh, and so Mark, in, that, in those translations, calls him John the Baptizer because that's who he is. Uh, Mark, in the, in the Greek, uses this word uh, instead of translating it Baptist. Now, I'm sure for some of you, who are, you know, for all of us who are Baptist, that, that may hurt your feelings. But, hey, he was John the Baptizer. We are Baptist because we are identified with baptizing, full immersion baptism. So, other translations are not wrong, but they probably wanted to be consistent in describing John. When you describe him as John the Baptist, let's just keep it all the way through John the Baptist. So, he is the baptizer of those who have repented of their sins. John says he is unworthy to even do the job of a slave in removing Jesus' sandals. He makes very clear, makes it very clear that he is not the man of the hour, but Jesus, who is coming, is going to be the man. I'm just coming. I'm helping you people get ready. I'm helping you people understand. You need to repent of your sins. Oh, but the one who's coming, I can't even do the work of a slave in his presence because of how important and how holy and how, how much authority he has. I can't even begin to describe it is what, basically what John is saying. I, I'm not even worthy to, to remove his sandals. I mean, goodness. So here is John baptizing for repentance. Repentance, according to uh, the Lexham Bible Dictionary I looked at, is a change of attitude and action from sin toward obedience to God. So it's away from sin toward obedience to God. The concept of repentance differs slightly in the, in the Hebrew and the Greek minds, but an emphasis upon right behavior is consistent throughout. In the Greek, the word repentance demands that appropriate actions follow the event of repentance. Now, it, I mean, we just hear repentance. You know, we're English-speaking people. We say the word repentance. We could all probably define it in some way, maybe even close to each other as we define it, may come very close to saying the same words even. But the word in the Greek language demands that appropriate actions follow the event of repentance. It's very interesting. So something comes after that. There must be a sign of th- that that's taken place. Okay, so that's what ca- happens in your other languages. You can you you begin to realize, oh oh, there's more to. You know, more to it than just the English that we look at. Well, John uses water baptism as the outward sign of an inward change. It is an outward sign that these people have changed their thinking. They've repented of their sins. They are walking away from their sin. They're turning from their sin. And this baptism that John does is a sign that these people have done that. And that's what it is for them. It is proof of their change of mind. 
they have changed their mind about sin. They've decided they're against it. They've decided they're against it. They don't want to do that. And so this visible sign of that change of mind is baptism. So they've made this choice, uh, and John has baptized them accordingly. They need to move towards God, but they cannot move towards Him through the actions of another human. They must move toward Him through the actions of Christ that He is going to do at this point in history. He hasn't done it yet. Uh, he hasn't died on the cross yet for their sins. You know, this is just at the beginning of his ministry here. Uh, but John understands that he is coming to prepare the way of the Lord. And so uh, he understands what's happening. So they must move toward him through the actions of Christ. Christ has made it possible for you and I to move towards God. The movement toward God only comes through a person's own personal decision to make Christ their Savior. That's the only way the movement toward God comes is when you and I accept Christ in our hearts and we allow Him to illumine our lives and to, to, to be inside of us through His Holy Spirit and enable us and empower us to live the Christian life. We begin moving toward God. We begin becoming more like Christ after John the baptizer, Jesus is going to come and he will baptize them with Holy Spirit and fire. Oh my goodness, that sounds dangerous. <laughs> oh no, we're, we're, did we baptize you with fire here in this church? No. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't think we have. I know sometimes the water was rather warm, uh, but I don't think it was that warm. Well, what in the world does this mean? When Jesus baptizes believers with the Holy Spirit and fire, a cleansing and purging will take place. A cleansing and purging takes place. Okay? A purging of sin. A cleansing of sin. In this verse, the grammar that is used refers to one baptism. So, baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. That's one baptism. So it takes place at the same time. It combines them. Uh, that's, that's what the grammar bears out. Now, when you look at it, you're like, oh, well, it looks like it could be two different times of baptism. It's, uh, I mean, you know, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, and then he's going to baptize you with fire. Uh, but in the, in the original language, that word baptism, uh, baptize, mean, it's a collective baptize, and it means Holy Spirit and fire together. For believers, this refers to the Holy Spirit's purifying and refining activity. Wonder what it means to unbelievers. Yikes. Yeah, it speaks of judgment to unbelievers. It speaks of judgment to unbelievers, those who do not believe. Paul Philip Levertoff, he's a converted Jew and a theologian. He wrote this. He said, water only touches the surface and through purifying has no permanent result. In contrast to this, the spirit, which, wherever it works, reaches the heart and there produces life and fire, which, taking hold of its object, either melts or entirely destroys it. Whoa. I love that. That is something. That's powerful. That's what happens. The Holy Spirit comes in. Boy, it's either going to melt our hearts, it's 
going to melt our hearts to the point where we realize, oh my goodness, we need Jesus. We need God. We need Him. Or it's going to entirely destroy our hearts. It's going to entirely destroy it. Look at verse 12. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. And he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the shaft with unquenchable fire. Oh my. This obviously referring to farmers who who at that time would throw the grain into the air and the wind would separate uh, the wheat and the shaft. It would would separate it and then it would fall and they would clear the floor and and they would be separated and they would have that, that job done. But they had to throw it up in the air. I mean, can you imagine doing that today? Uh, waiting for the wind to blow almost sometimes. <laughs> We've had some wind lately. But it's, uh, that's what they would do. This, the wheat, is uh, signifying believers, is preserved and safeguarded. The chaff, is unbelievers, is destroyed. John is speaking of this day of separation of the believers and the unbelievers. The day of judgment when it comes. If you're trusting in the faith or the decision of another human being to get you to heaven, it's time to wake up and see that the relationship with God has to be a personal relationship. It can't be through someone else. I know someone who knows God and they can get you in the gates. I know someone who knows someone who knows God and and I'm sure that they can work something out. I'll pull a favor. We'll work it out. We'll do something you know, my goodness, it's like some of these, I shouldn't go there, but uh, it's like some of these parents today, well, well, I'll just lean on the principal hard and I'll make them make that teacher give my child an A. I know my child didn't, didn't make an A, but my child, he, he ought to have one. And it's amazing how we kind of fall, we, 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 we try to get somebody to, who knows somebody who knows somebody to get something done that we want done. Listen, that's not how it works with God and it's never going to work that way. And your relationship with the Lord is between you and the Lord. It's not between you and someone else who might be able to get you there. They're not going to be able to. It's impossible. Well, I know somebody who knows somebody. Yeah, right. Well, preacher, you, you, your prayers make it to heaven faster than mine. No, no. Well, preacher, you talk to him more than I do. I don't know about that. Look, uh, if that's true, then that does say something about you. And you've just admitted you need to spend a little more time with the Lord. Well, preacher, certainly somebody, you know, my, but you just don't know my grandma. Well, no, I don't. But your relationship with the Lord, let me say it again, is your relationship with the Lord. It's not through someone else. It comes down to you knowing God personally. It comes down to you knowing Jesus. Do not be one who is sifted from the wheat. Where are you today? Have you made the decision to follow Jesus? Are you hoping that somehow because your mom's a believer or, or your grandfather or grandmother was a believer that, or your dad, are you hoping that somehow maybe that just is enough? It's not. Please do not think that it's enough. It was enough for them. When they made the decision for themselves, 
it was enough for them. And that's it. This relationship with the Lord comes down to you and him. Have you accepted him as your savior? Have you, have you asked him to forgive you of your sins? Have you asked him to do that? Have you, have you been repentant? Willing to turn away from it? Go the other direction? Willing to have Jesus be in charge of your life? Have you made that decision? Maybe today you need to make that decision. You can't ride someone else's coattails to heaven. You can only ride into heaven with his blood having washed away your sins and with your life having been lived out for Christ. So what is it for you? What, is it, what will it be for you? Will you ask Christ into your heart today? Will you allow him to come into your life? To forgive you of your sins? To be in charge of your life? We have a God who loves us. A God who made it possible for us. A God who's not shaking and his, wagging his finger at us saying, you terrible, dirty, rotten people. He's looking down and he's saying, I love you. I don't like the sin you've done. So I've made a way for you to be forgiven of that sin. If you'll simply trust in Jesus, call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Maybe today you need to ask him to come into your heart. Maybe today that is a decision you need to make. If you'd like to make that decision, Listen, you can go to fbcwinsboro.com and over on the right-hand side of the website there, there is a gospel presentation. Uh, you can click on that and listen to that. Listen, all you need to really do is to be sorry for your sins, repent, turn away from them, ask God to forgive you, and He will. Ask Him to come into your heart and to be in charge of your life, and He will. That's all there is to it. But you must believe that Jesus died on the cross for you and that your sins, the punishment, uh, your sins were placed on him and the punishment that you deserve was given to Jesus. Jesus was punished for your sins. He took the place of you and was allowed uh, to be punished for your sins. He made it possible for you to be forgiven and to be in right relationship with God. Maybe that's the decision you need to make. Contact us at fbcwinsboro.com. We'd love to hear from you. Remember, you matter to God and to us at the First Baptist Church of Winsboro.